Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm grateful to be able to open God's Word with you today uh, to get our minds going sort of in the right direction as we continue our series through Romans. We're talking about doctrine to desire, uh, learning correct things, uh, but moving um, not beyond that, but with that into a true desire uh, for the Lord. So to get our minds going in, in, the, in the right direction this morning, I want to ask a quick question. How many of you, uh, thinking about before you were a Christian or follower of Jesus until now, how many of you have been a little surprised by what it looks like to follow Jesus? And, and to, to be more, yeah, right, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, how many of you would say that, you know, like, I was expecting A, and in notable ways, what I got was B, right? It looks, it looks a little differently. I mean, I think if we all had time to kind of reflect on that question, one of the th- answers that we would have in common to that is that, Following Jesus is harder than I thought it was going to be, right? Um, and if you haven't experienced that, hold on. You, you will experience that. Um, that's certainly been my experience, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And it, it reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis. I know everything reminds me of a quote by C.S. I know, I know. Uh, and you may, have, you may have heard me actually give this one before, but it's one of the most profound things he said Uh, in his book, Mere Christianity. And so I want you to to lean in and hear this. It's on this very topic that we're talking about. It's coming up on the screen. You can follow along there as well. He said, imagine yourself as as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed to be doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here and putting up on an extra floor and running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself, right? Again, C.S. Lewis is, is spot on here. This is why it looks a little bit different. And this construction that God is doing uh, on us and in us can be a little difficult while in process, right? And we are all, all works in process and, or in progress, right? We, um, we know that to be true. And so that sometimes that rubs us. Uh, it's difficult to get things chiseled away, right? Um, well, thankfully, God wrote a book about it. So let's turn there now. We're in Romans chapter 5. Um, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And while you're turning there, I just want you to be reminded that Romans is not a historical narrative in the way that a lot of the uh, Old Testament historical accounts are and even the New Testament accounts of Jesus' life. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to, to people um, about how sound doctrine should move them uh, to live a certain way, both individually and to living together. And it's a single letter 
meant to be read in one sitting. Yet here we are on Sunday mornings breaking it up. Who knows how long it's going to take us to get through, Pastor James? I don't, I don't know. Um, but we're breaking it up so that we can kind of unpack all this rich uh, truth that Paul has packed into the book of Romans. And so last week, you'll, you saw that uh, Pastor James helped us see what it looks like to have faith that pleases God. That is truly saving faith, faith that puts us in right relationship with God. Well, this morning, we're going to kind of be having a part two of that, right? You'll see that um, this, our messages in this series, I've mentioned it before, will overlap and then build on one another. And um, we'll see this morning that it builds on this idea, yes, there is faith that pleases God. This morning now, we're going to see what it looks like in the lives of those who do have faith that pleases God, those who are saved by grace through faith. And then what does it look like? How does that, what shape does that type of faith take in our lives? Um, so this passage this morning has been of great encouragement to me. You know, we, we've been beat up a little bit the first four chapters of, of Romans. Chapter 5 is going to tell us it's worth it. It's all worth it. Uh, so I believe if we'll lean in and have our hearts and minds open to see Jesus, it'll be encouraging to you today as well. So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 um, you know, if you've heard me give messages before, you know I read the passage multiple times as we go through. We'll read this whole thing for context, and then we'll go through, read it again, uh, each section, and then unpack it. And that repetition is on purpose. It helps it keep it fresh in our minds and to have context at the same time. So let's read the whole thing, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, therefore, because of the things we've, we just talked about, you know, what does it look like to have faith that pleases God? Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were, yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Right? This is the Word of God. So let's back up. I told you we're going to read it multiple times. Let's do verse two, verses 1 and 2 so we remember where we are and we'll link in there. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now I want us to pause and drink those words in. Don't let, you know, I have a friend of mine, um, uh, his name's Leslie, he's 96 years old. He's 
like one of my best friends in the world. He says, God gave us one mouth and two ears. He gave us two ears so it can go in one ear and out the other, right? Let's not let that happen this morning. Let's pause and think about what Paul has just said. Let's drink in what he said in these first two verses. And if you're a note taker, this is the first uh, little piece of note I'd recommend that you take. The first difference that Jesus makes for us is found in these first two verses is that Jesus gives us peace with God. Do you realize how amazing that truth is? Peace with God. Uh, Paul gives us kind of the equation of salvation, right? Like in verse 1, he says we're saved, like we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God is the peacemaker. Um, He comes to his enemies, that's us. And um, he offers us peace. This peace is the free gift that is given by God's grace. It is received through placing our faith or our trust in him. Uh, and his gift to us. That's verse one. Now, verse two, it says, I want you to know something really important. Paul repeats that we have access, um, we access God's gift of grace through faith. And then he says that grace, look at it, is something in which we now stand. Again, don't, do not let this go in one ear and out the other. I want us to focus our attention on, drink in what this means. This, of course, means that if you belong to Jesus, you get to be with him and all the other disciples throughout all time and all places in heaven forever. Hallelujah. That's amazing, right? That's it's truly amazing. But, but also notice, it says we stand in God's grace when? Audience participation. It's, we stand in grace, God's grace when? Now. now. Notice it does not say, since you will have peace with God in verse 1. It says, since you have peace with God in verse 1, doesn't it? Currently, present tense, and we now stand. Do you get how amazing that is? As Pastor James talked about a couple of weeks ago, man, uh, if, if you understand the bad news of how big our debt of sin is to God, you'll recognize the truth that we right now, currently, even prior to heaven because of Jesus, can stand in and have peace with God is an amazing thing. Because without that, we're in an irreconcilable situation before God. Do you understand? Uh, So so the fact that we can have peace with God is amazing. Um, Again, it's irreconcilable unless the infinite God, the Son, took himself, took upon himself flesh, became a human being, stood in our place, took the cross in our place, took our penalty upon himself. Unless he's done that, it's irreconcilable. But good news, that's exactly what he did, right? That's exactly what he did. That's why it's so amazing. And this means that all of you, if you're here today or watching online or listening online, if, if God has extended his unmerited favor, which is what grace is to you, You've bowed to that and said, Lord, I, yes, uh, I, 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 I trust you. Then here's what that means. <laughs> you have already been rescued. In life right now, if your faith is in Jesus alone, you have been rescued. You are free. Your debt is paid, right? We have, present tense, right now, peace with God. And, and listen, if... Uh, <laughs> If you can't truly, I, listen, I, I know we're, we're a bunch of like 
Caucasians of Presbyterian Baptist descend, uh, Methodist descendants, so we don't like outwardly get excited about it. But if you can't rejoice in that in your soul, man, man, come talk to me or Pastor James uh, after the service. I, um, we want you to know the joy of salvation in Jesus. It's, there's truly nothing greater. Another key to realize um, is that in the original Greek there, Paul, uh, in which Paul wrote this letter, he makes another key point. It's the second one, that Jesus enables us to stand. We see this here because Paul makes a really specific word choice to convey a very specific thing. Uh, and it's really important to us this morning, and I hope it will, hope it will bring comfort to your heart as it does mine. That phrase there says, the grace in which we stand, right? That word stand, and you see I've under, underlined on, on the screen there, in the Greek grammar is in the perfect tense. And, and the reason that's a big deal uh, is because it means that it is a current and ongoing thing. We stand currently. We stand presently and our standing is ongoing, right? This is, a, this is incredible because it, it literally means stand as opposed to fall. Isn't that great news, right? Um, so let's unpack it a little bit. Just ask a question uh, of yourself here. In your life, what are you standing on? Like ultimately, what are you standing on? Ask yourself that question. In other words, what are you counting on to keep you steady, at peace in life, able to rest no matter the situation? What are you counting on? What are you standing in or standing on? Is it your performance, right? Like, uh, you know, in salvation, that would mean like, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, God will judge me based on my standard, not his, right? We learned a few weeks ago, that's kind of silly, um, but also in life situations, maybe it's your performance. Maybe it's, you know, I, I, I work hard. I put the work in. Um, and therefore, I will always, I know, I, I, work, on, I work on my health. I, I, I try to eat clean. I try to exercise. I try to get good sleep. Therefore, I will always be in good health. Or I'll always live as long as I want to live. My life will always look like I want it to look. Are you standing in the performance of others? You know, I, I know that uh, my friends or family have my back. They won't let me slide too far. Um, they're kind of my tribe. They, they hold me together. Um, that's what it would look like to be relying, standing in the performance of others. Well, we've already talked about in this series that we cannot possibly count on our works in any way to make us right with God. We learned that. Uh, again, CS, another thing from C.S. Lewis says, he says, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good, <laughs> right? Like we know, like if we've tried to please God, uh, we know that he's perfect, his standard is perfection, and we cannot do that, right? Yet we're commanded to do that in Scripture, aren't we? Be you perfect as your Father in heaven is, is perfect. Well, we've learned that that's through Jesus alone, not, not through I, but Christ in me, right? We were just saying about that, um, trying to have our good works outweigh our bad so that we can be right with God. Actually, if we're honest, if you've ever tried to do that, if you've ever actually thought that through, you know it leads to lots of stress. Um, ultimately, it leads to despair. But also consider it not just in terms of salvation, but in terms of our life situation. Um, what about when you're standing in, in your performance, what you can do or what others can help you do, and uh, life goes sideways anyhow? <laughs> 
How many of you have ever been doing the best you possibly can and life goes sideways? Yes, right? Absolutely, despite our best efforts. Uh, Don't we all know that uh, lots of things, perhaps the vast majority of things in life, we can absolutely do nothing about, right? We have no control over those things. So trying to stand in those things then, think about that. If I, if I, if, if I don't know what's coming, I, I'm not real sure what just happened in the past, and I can't really control my present. If I'm trying to stand in that, that's like trying to stand out in the middle of the deep ocean, right? Like I'm bobbing up and down. I don't know uh, up from down. I don't know north from south, east from west. Um, I, I'm confused. I'm disoriented. I, I bob and roll and I get seasick. With Sometimes I drown with what life throws at me. That's what happens when we're standing on our performance or on the performance of others. That's why it's important for us to know this morning what it means to stand in God's grace. And again, by grace, I mean unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Um, this, uh, this means that realizing that God's grace to me is not something I did um, or something I earned by my performance. Um, it means that the confidence I have for that my sins really are forgiven. Right? I'm not carrying around my sin debt anymore, not because I went to a therapist and they made me feel better or rationalized my sin or do five happy hops to... to fruitfulness or or whatever, but because I know that Jesus has fulfilled the requirements of the Holy God on my behalf. So my my piece about my sins being forgiven is not based on my performance, but on Jesus' performance. It's like a done deal. It's a that there's great peace that comes from that. That that's the that's the order. We stand because of Him, and because of that, we can rest. We can stand secure, resting. We remember who He is, and then we remember that we are His, and then we rest. Right? Those things in that order. And so Jesus gives us peace with God. Jesus enables us to stand. And verse 2 says, we rejoice because of these things. Jesus enables us to rejoice. Specifically, it says, we rejoice in hope. Right now, this is not false hope. This is not like pie in the sky kind of hope. This is real hope grounded in certain truths, certain facts. Um, This is the reason we have real hope. This is even the reason we dare to rejoice because we rest in God's favor as a sure foundation. I believe Paul is saying this. You know, uh, we're kind of pilgrims on the earth. And as we kind of walk the earth, we see difficulty, we see trial, we see things we have no control over, we see things we can make no sense of, we see things that hurt, and we cause hurt ourselves. But Paul's saying we can indeed still have true joy in our souls despite those things. Does that sound like a contradiction to you? The world's crazy, right? It's like, uh, it's... <laughs> It's burning down. My life looks like it's falling apart. But you know, I actually have joy. Like inwardly, I, I'm standing. 
I'm, I'm pressed down, but I'm not crushed, right? I, I can have joy. Um, again, that may sound like a contradiction, but it's not. I, I'm here to personally testify to you that in the darkest times, times that are humanly unbearable, times of extreme fear, deep sorrow, terrifying confusion. Listen, if you, if you don't know my story, let's talk sometime. I'm speaking those things from my own experience. Jesus was and is my sanity. Jesus was and is my hope. What do I mean? Well, I know the captain of this ship, and I know the destination. Right? I, I am not the captain, <laughs> and that's a great thing. That is a, that is a great thing because... Jesus is the captain. It's not just anybody. Jesus is the captain. And so my hope is, isn't based on steering my own ship the best I can, right? Um, trying to reach my destination, wishing upon a star that's hidden behind the storm clouds, right? I, in that scenario, how could I dare to have hope? If I'm doing the best I can in the storm and I don't know how ships work anyway, Right? How could I dare to have like hope in that situation? It would, it would be insanity to have hope if that were the case, if that were my situation. Um, but Jesus is my sanity. Jesus is my hope. Therefore, my sanity and my hope are secure. And because they are secure, I can rejoice. Considering these truths, maybe this next, next section in, in verse 3 may have seemed shocking at the beginning, but maybe it's not so shocking after all. Paul says in the beginning of verse 3 that not only do we rejoice in the fact that Jesus gives us sure hope for the future, he says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Pardon me? <laughs> what? Jesus enables us to rejoice even in our sufferings. This is the next thing I would, I would have you write down. Your translation might uh, even use the word boast in our afflictions. What? Yes. Yes. Paul emphasizes that affliction can lead to uh, positive outcomes in our lives if we see them and handle them correctly. Right? There, that, that's a caveat there. Uh, we, get, we get to choose how we react to the situations in our lives. So stop and ask yourselves. What is, what is your attitude when difficulty comes? What's like, what's like your default? Do you see them like as, oh my goodness, maybe God has lost dominion over the world, right? Like maybe there's no way that this is true and God is sovereign. There's no way. Or do you see these things? Maybe, man, these things are, these things are going to tear me down. These things are going to destroy me. Or maybe they confuse you and you ask, why me? <laughs> what, what, what's kind of your default when these things come? And even if you, don't, you wouldn't say those things kind of out loud, um, it might be subconsciously that that's where your, your soul goes when difficulties come. Um, so instead of viewing them as signs that God has lost dominion or that he has somehow forgotten us, we should understand that God seeks to sharpen 
our character through these things, which then leads to deepening the hope that we've been talking about in the first place. All right, Paul shows us how this works. He kind of connects a series of claims like a verbal flow chart. I put a, there's going to be a, a, a visual representation up there. You see how that works. One thing leads to another. This affliction, this difficulty, it may be caused by your sin. It may be caused by the sin of somebody else. It may be just that your car ran out of gas, just something that happened. But all these things, God will use even them. Even those. He doesn't want you to sin. He doesn't want people to sin against you. But even those, God will use. Um, I mean, who doesn't want proven character and hope? Don't we want those things? Of course we do. And Paul shows us how God usually goes about accomplishing those things in our lives. It's kind of counterintuitive maybe, but he shows us that afflictions and patient endurance are the starting points for the attributes of hope and peace and strength that we want to have to begin with. This is how it works. Um, He says that in this, the hope that belongs to disciples of Jesus, hopefully that's us, right, will not disappoint because why? It stems from the love of God that he's poured into our hearts. You see that in the passage. God has poured his love into us. So when the afflictions come, God, where are you? He says, I'll pour my love into your heart. And even these things I want to use. So, So when you pray for things like discernment or hope, or peace, or strength. Remember this, this little equation. There's a, there's a video going to come up on the screen that, that outlines it pretty well, I think. Take a look. So the audio that I was wanting to put with that, uh, there's a guy who reads a poem, and I should, have, I should have printed it out here, that says, you know, I, I, I prayed for strength, so God gave me trials to endure. I prayed for wisdom, God gave me problems to solve. I prayed for patience. God gave me people to work with. Right? And so the point is that these are tools in the hands of God that seem like hard work, man. Hard work on us. God is using even these things for our good. He's shaping them to build our hope, a hope that doesn't fail. C.S. Lewis, again, I'm sorry. Uh, He says, if you think of this world as a place simply intended for our happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place for training and correction, and it's not so bad. Do you see the mind difference there? Do you see the perspective difference? It's based on the truth. Um, so, so, so pull in with me and get this truth. In this fallen world, in our fallen lives, difficulties, even those brought about by our own sin and the sin of others, can be used by God to grow us, to produce fruit and character and hope in our lives that would not happen otherwise. 
It would not happen without those things. See, uh, I heard it said one time, it's, it's always stuck with me. Jesus not only went to prepare a place for us, but currently, presently, he is preparing us for that place. Right? Life is about that. This is not your eternity, right? This is... This, this, is a, this matters. This is real, and it matters. But right now, God is building us out for eternity, right? It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of seeing life accurately. Again, now, to be clear, it's not a, that we should ignore evil around us, right? Or say, well, God will use it. It's evil. He weeps over it and, and, and hates evil more than you do. I promise. Um, and it's not about taking our own evil lightly, right? God doesn't take it lightly. It would be foolish and short-sighted to take evil lightly that way. We also don't ignore the reality of just plain difficulties that happen, health problems, etc. But we recognize that in those times when those things come, it would be foolish and short-sighted to turn away from God. To what? Turn away from God to what? Where, would, where are you going to go? That's better than God. No, no, no. Uh, we, we, reckon, we humble ourselves and recognize he's God, right? He's poured his love into my heart. He's demonstrated his love for me. So maybe, just maybe, in his wisdom, in his love, in his sovereignty, he says, okay, son, daughter, uh, we're going to go through this thing. Notice we, together, God doesn't leave us. He's with us. He wraps his arms around us. I'm going to hold you through it. I'm going to hold you through it. And through it, I'm shaping you. I'm molding you. I'm building your character. I'm, and that character will give you hope because it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. He's firm. He does not change. It will not put us to shame. Do you see the math? Do you follow the math there with me? Well, um, Let's look at verses 6 through 11 again. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Okay, now let me, let me I didn't plan on pausing there. Let's pause there for just a second. Paul's pointing out, you might die for a good person. Maybe, you know, they might be worthy of dying. But, but <laughs> verse 8, he, he kind of points out that we're, we're not, we're not, Good people, like by God's measurement, we're good horizontally, vertically before God. We're sinners, right? He says in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, right? Uh, Christ died for us. Since that, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul's making a series of statements here, and it's almost like asking rhetorical questions and building his case. Like one gets more than that. Isn't this great? More than that. Isn't this great? More than that. Right? Paul is showing us the goodness of the good news. Um, and Paul is saying that humanly speaking, man, what God did doesn't make sense. Humanly speaking, 
Nobody in their right mind would give up their life for somebody that deserved to die anyway. Who does that? God does that. God did that. Um, we would think somebody had to be crazy to do such a thing. Uh, Paul spotlights kind of the improbability of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf by starting with, with something that's even more improbable, Jesus dying um, for us. Jesus, he says, well, you might, you might die for a good person, but then he says, well, but wait, before God, you're not good. Even more, God died while we were his enemies for us. Paul says, even more. Um, man, we, again, amazing does not capture what God did. We did not deserve such a gift. Paul continues. Um, he gives a description of the penalty Jesus paid for us, and it kind of serves as a background, and he, he builds it even more. He says, man, if, if Jesus' death accomplished all of this, how much more is possible considering that he rose from the dead? He didn't just die. He didn't stay dead. He rose. You know, as a gospel-centered church, we focus a lot on Jesus' death, and that's a good thing to do. It's a fact of history. That means you, you can be made right with God, right? We, we should. But Jesus' resurrection here, man, means quite a bit. Although the gospel is not possible without Jesus' death, it's also not possible without Jesus' resurrection, right? And Paul is saying that it means quite a bit here. Paul has a question for us. If God's love was so great that he's willing to, to reach out to us sinners, what does God's love hold for us now that we're not his enemies anymore? If that's the love God has for his enemies... What kind of love does God have for his children? Right? That's what Paul is asking here. And, man, and if we know how difficult Paul's own life was, this guy was imprisoned, beaten with reeds, stoned, left for dead, abandoned by all of his friends. Right? This is Paul. Here's what Paul says about his difficulties in view of what God the Father, our Father, if you're in Jesus... What he has in store for all of Jesus' disciples. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Check this out. Again, remember Paul's life. For this light, momentary affliction <laughs> is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. What difference does Jesus make? Jesus makes all the difference. Jesus makes all, the, both uh, for eternity and for right here, right now in this, not, in this life. Right now, Jesus can be your true source of reconciliation to God. Jesus could be your true source of steadiness and peace and assurance in all of life's situations. Jesus can be the source of our transformation, right? He can renew us. He can make us new, not in spite of our trials, but through our trials. And Jesus can be our true source of hope that joy really does come in the morning. Do you need that difference? 
is, is my question for you today. Do you need the difference that Jesus makes? Only Jesus can make that difference. If you don't know him, I would love to introduce you to him. It'd be a privilege. It, it, this, is, this would be one beggar showing another beggar where to find food, right? Uh, I'm not your gateway to God. Jesus is the door, right? But I, I just want to show you that door, right? Um, in your life, where you're, what do you, when I ask what you're standing on, do you maybe, have you found yourself, maybe you didn't know, but you've been, you've moved off of standing firm in Jesus and you've been looking at the, the sea around you Things are getting unsteady, and now you're getting unsteady. I'm tipping over. I'm getting seasick. I think I'm going to drown. I would invite you to move back to Jesus. He didn't go anywhere. He'll hold you. He's the same. He's steady. Let him make the difference for you.